Hello, welcome to this edition of the Engaged Podcast. I'm Simon, and as always, is Jamie. Hello. And of course, this time around, we've got a very special guest with us. Greetings uh, from Matthew, beyond the pond. And on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, we've got Matthew from uh, Trek Zone. So he's from all the way over in Australia, Brisbane. And that may sound very familiar because the whole point of this one is to return the favour um, because you may remember at the beginning of June, wasn't it? I think. I think it was. June. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Um. Uh. I think it came out later, but oh, I'm really getting confused. This is what happens when we record late. But never mind. That's time difference. Crap for you as ever. <laughs> um, Matthew had me on one of his tracks on episodes, which is called. Uh, free Thursday. Why can't I remember that either? <laughs> you can find it on YouTube, guys. Simon did a, a, a an interview with uh, Matthew talking about our podcast. <laughs> and I'm actually just scrambling here to uh, to find out the details so I can I can, I can recall it uh, as better than I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday free something. Free plug Thursday. There you are. Free plug Thursday. There, there, there we are. It's, it's come back minute. to us all. Yeah. <sighs> and funnily enough, the way Why should it be so I... hard? <laughs> well, we have fun trying to introduce it. This is like our third time doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to be fair, I mean, we've all been through that anyway, Matthew. Me, me and Absolutely. Me, I've done the same thing where I fluffed up a bit on an introduction, so we've all you been. You see my outtakes from five years. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about that, that's why we've got we're returning the favour as I promised you on the day that you hosted for me to have you on the podcast. And as he's yawning, we're going to thank him for getting up <laughs> at the crack of dawn. Yeah, thank you. Half so much six for that. in the morning. Oh, yeah. How devoted is that to the podcast? And wake up so early in the morning to go and chat to someone in the past because arguably we're in the past which is <laughs> a strange concept but and it's actually and happens it's been on, on a, a daily occurrence but yeah and this being on a weekend as well even more so so you know get up on a weekend go back to bed yeah no worries it's it's, it's ten past seven now the day's begun <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we're going to talk to him all about his adventures over the last five years which makes our four years kind of just as amazing i don't know just, I really just as amazing so... that's what i was gonna say <laughs> oh, dear. Stag- i think stabbing from our from our i think so how have we got this point yeah and all the amazing things that you've, you've achieved in that time so i think you know fan films um video interviews now podcasting it's like anything else is like <laughs> man of What's many next? talents <laughs> yeah well i mean you know i mean that's the thing you know it's 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 quite interesting because as you say i mean you know you, you know we like you Matthew said we we've we've got a big passion for star trek and you know initially it was just kind of oh you know we love watching it we love talking about it so i mean what what was it for you that kind of inspired and influenced you to start creating content to actually do well starting off doing a video podcast 
Well, the the actual start of the website back in 2003 was a um, high school uh, IT project. Uh, we had to create website. We had to raw code it in HTML. And so it sort of sat around for, for a few years and had all sorts of different ideas. And uh, I was young and I was crazy and I had more hair and uh, not as many cares in the world and uh, just 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 let it sit there and, and didn't really do too much with it. But when I moved over to Brisbane and um, really sort of settled down a little bit and worked out where I was going and, uh, you know, I moved interstate here in Australia uh, four times uh, in two years. So, so I was moving from one side of the country to the other. Um, so I settled in Brisbane and, and I decided that, you know what, that hobby that was over there that I've been dragging along with me um, I could do something with that so I, I built up the website and uh, had been intending to um, create a fan film it, it, had, it had actually all really started from a fan film um, and it's it, I was trying to do that because I, I work in uh, in the television industry <laughs> in the real world as it is um, and so the inspiration was there to make uh, content, visual content, and put it online and do my own thing and, and be my own creative. Because as an editor in, in television here, I'm, uh, you know, accountable to journalists and producers and executive producers, whereas when I do my own thing, I'm accountable to myself. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot more creative um, freedom, and yeah. That's right, yeah. But it, it, it was really a little bit difficult. So one of, one of the first iterations of the new Trek Zone was uh, actually a visual supplement to to the fan film. Um, and I think they're still available on the Wayback Machine uh, somewhere deep in, in that archive. Um, until I sort of morphed it into what it is today, uh, a reference site um, and... Uh, and and the news and the podcasting and the podcasting really sort of just came along. Um, I bought some uh, camera equipment and decided that I was going to do uh, or I was going to be the video podcast um, in 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 the world um, and and started doing that. Got in with. Uh, the folks at Supernova and Oz Comic Con to meet uh, great talent in in those first years: Nana Visitor, Connor Trenier, uh, Dominic Keating, um, so many great people. Anthony Montgomery as well. Rod Roddenberry. I started uh, just reaching out randomly on on email um, and just saying, "Hey, do you want to have a chat? I'm from Trek Zone. Do you want to have a chat?" And I was getting Rod Roddenberry, Doug Drexler, and Larry Nemanchek, those awesome mm -hmm. guys. Um, so it really sort of snowballed out from there and uh but the biggest thing that that always was there um uh so so there was a name change to the trek zone spotlight uh and 72 episodes of that uh, uh were produced um and we got to a point this year where it was just getting really hard to um to keep up the visual quality um as the camera gear was aging uh you always can't guarantee uh, where you're going to get guests at conventions um few times as as grateful as i am to get the guests don't get me wrong but um when you're thrown at the back of the signing table which is a dark corridor with a couple of fluoros lighting <laughs> it because that's that's all that's needed to get the guests from the green room to the signing table it's not ideal for for audio uh, for for a video production so um stripped all that away bought a brand new audio kit um and the first chat that i had was with or the, the first real 
world exercise with it was with Dominic Keating at um, Oz Comic Con up here in Brizzy uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and we were at that spot. We were backstage uh, and the visual just looked, it was an awful background and all that sort of stuff, but it didn't matter because Dom, thanks for joining me. Here's a microphone and we had a chat just as we're having a chat now. So uh, all the lights have gone off in my car as I, <laughs> as I record this for the best audio. Um, so, so the video sharing with Jamie and, and Simon uh, is probably just a dark room at the moment, but, uh, but my audio is coming through loud and clear. So it's just so much easier to make audio. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, because obviously, you know, that said getting your audio kit probably was said cheaper than trying obviously replacing your camera probably would have cost God knows how much, as you say, it's, it's, it's all about cost, you know, if you, mm. you know, if it is, you know, said, supply and you know, demand. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing with that as well, like, um, you're right. The audio kit, the entire audio kit was a tenth of the cost of the camera. So, so you know, and then on the camera, getting a newer camera, I need a new tripod. The audio was starting to, the microphone cable was cracking a little bit. So all of those things needed replacing. I was up to forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 um, And, I mean, there are people out there that are using Patreon and uh, they are crowdfunding for, the, for their projects um, and, and they're doing that sort of stuff. And that's cool and, and good on them. Um, but where I sit with all of that is that it's, it's, it's my hobby and mm. I'm doing it because I, I want to do it, not because I, wanna, I want to make money off it. Um, I'm sort of happy with the way that, that I've fallen, that I've got a full-time job and that pays my you know that pays the rent and and the utilities and all that sort of stuff and then i do i work you know i work hard over there i get some overtime um and that pays for the trips away and, and that sort of stuff um but uh, i've actually built in the website costs are built into my actual budget so it's all intertwined and if i was <laughs> to just give up trek zone one day i'd be a richer man for it um but um but 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 only from a financial sense, not necessarily from a from a cultural sense. So it yeah, I mean yeah, people have asked me that you know why 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 not create Patreon or or anything like that? And it's just um, I think it comes back to being accountable again. You know if if like like I am at work and and I mean that's that's the structure and, and I do enjoy that. Um, don't, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, but you know you, you just want to do your hobby. And you want to do it the way that, that you do it. And, you know, you guys do it as well. Um, yeah. Just getting it done without being accountable to um, to a board or shareholders, or which is essentially what Patreon uh, supporters are. Uh, you know, they're shareholders in, in your company um, and and you have to keep producing at, a, at the regular intervals that you set. Uh, otherwise, you lose that money. And I think that... Um, for me, just loses a bit of the attractiveness of it. I think that if you if you have to produce this content, um, it just sort of becomes a, a, a job. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, we're concerned about because I think didn't we so a, a long time didn't we briefly discuss the idea of possibly using that? I'm not not sure if it's poaching, but but possibly it, like, it would be. It's just I think too much overcomplicated and i think we, yeah. you know i've always considered it it's just we've never quite moved on from it and i think you know we're at the same same point where we'll, we'll suffer the costs because it's our hobby it's an extension of our love for star trek mm. so however high it is you still got to suffer the costs and go well we're here to 
well we're not here to give them give our listeners a service but we're there to put our points across and if they disagree they're quite welcome to but if they agree great yes yeah, so mm. we do it we do it for the same means as you say because we love doing it we said so we're not interested in making money we we do it because how much money yeah. we've spent on this and yes not seen a penny from it so you know oh yes i deliberately don't keep a budget for trek zone because i don't <laughs> want to know <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, I, I think i think we're the same as well we, we haven't exactly kept a, we obviously we keep track of kind of um you, know, you me more than you jeremy oh yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Someone's um, got to keep a rough idea, kind of how much it is every year and that sort of oh, thing. Yeah. But it's, someone will usually know, but yes, we tend not to dwell on that sort of thing. And <laughs> doubly so at the moment, because I think our SoundCloud subscription thing's gone out recently. So it's like, bye-bye, money. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, episodes. Hello, thing I will never see, but <laughs> thanks for the memories. Yeah. That's brilliant. But see, Adam... It's also rewarding as well, you know. Look, um, I mean, from, from my perspective, doing doing the interviews with with the guests that come out for the conventions, the the media passes and the uh, the backstage access that that to me is is the payment and the fulfilment. And um, you know, you see all these people that, um, and I should be careful here because uh, you know, you, you see all the people that um, that buy the photo tokens and buy the autographs and line up for hours and and all that sort of stuff. And I just waltz on past with the media pass and shake the hand and have a good chat to them, uh, you know, the guest for 20 minutes. Um, both sides of that are very important, everybody. So don't stop buying your photo tokens um, because that's the reason that the guests come out. Um, and that so, goes out on a day where Starship, Destination Starship Birmingham is going out. So everyone yep. can appreciate that. And yep. <laughs> it's yep. like very and, apparent. And I just heard last night that... Uh, that um, and I'm crossing my uh, I'm crossing my franchises here, and I'm and I'm blanking on Harry's owl from Harry Potter. His owl's name is Harriet Hedwig. 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 Yes. Apparently, Hedwig was delivering my media passes uh, to Destination Star Trek. Ooh. And that's why I'm still here in Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter meets Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> but by that I mean it got lost in the mail. <laughs> so, uh, but Some yeah, you know, one very happy posty. <laughs> but anyway, you know, you, so you're seeing all those photos coming in now from from that convention, and and it's it's brilliant that there are so many people still interested uh, in Star Trek, as as divisive and as forked in the road as it's become. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, me and Simon were talking about it earlier, and we you kind of think, kind of, I don't think Star Trek's ever going to reach the heyday that it did back in the 90s, but I definitely think it's kind of reached a kind of new era, kind of, mm. I think. You know, I said, we've, it's obviously with with Discovery and another said Picard series and, you know, rumours of, of another few films that they're thinking of making as well. And so, yeah, as I said, it's, it's an exciting time for Star Trek. And I said, it's been going for over 50 years now, and, Hopefully, I, I think it will still be. Hopefully, another fifty. Yeah, yeah it's it's an enduring uh, franchise, definitely, and it's certainly adapted to to all the changes that have 
set forth uh, in it, um, and it, it is really funny to to list, to read and listen to that side of fandom. There's actually a bit of a Twitter argument going on at the moment with with someone replying and arguing with me. But um, you know, it's it's. I think that's the reason that it's survived so long is is the fact that it's 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 recognised what the current world climate is and adapted for it. Um, I mean, these same arguments with Discovery were being had with the next generation in the 80s. The difference was the internet back then was a couple of computers telnetted together. So, you know, the the, the interconnection of the fandom wasn't wasn't there in the 80s, but apparently it was all there, and, and, and you can't have Star Trek without Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Uh, well, we did, and we had we had the best twenty years of of Star Trek. Mm. So, are we going to have the next best twenty years of Star Trek? Uh, I'm not sure, but um, but it's hey, the studios a- the studios are making Star Trek. Um, whatever you think of it, it's got the title Star Trek on it, and you know they could, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was you going to say, so? It's uh, as I say in, in the Voyager. It's this station's not important. It's the journey. That's I think, it, isn't it? It's along those lines. It's yeah. sort of. And and all these things about um about continuity and canon and we're never going to know what the canon is actually supposed to be until they stop making the franchise. And I hope they never stop making the franchise, and we never find out. Just keep rolling with it, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, Callan's kind of a, a tricky thing, which we, we've talked about with a previous guest, Rick, from uh, Starbase 66, and he kind of explained it as whatever they kind of say, is, whatever they kind of produce, it's, it's canon. Whatever they say is canon, which, you know, which I can completely understand, you know, from a certain standpoint. But then you get to things like the books that have been written about Star Trek after the series have ended, and you get into a whole mess of problems. So, mm. yeah, because people are going to think, oh, that's canon or that's canon or, yeah. <laughs> but when continuity does work and when it does work nicely, because in Star Trek, it doesn't always, but when it does, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. Mm. One of the things I love about Star Trek, when the continuity works, I, I yeah, my, my, my inner fan, my inner fan really comes out. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. I think it's quite amazing that, you know, uh, Matthew, that you said, Trek's only said getting to five years. I mean, that's that is quite that is an amazing achievement. I mean, did you, are you surprised that you've kind of reached that milestone? Did you find yourself kind of thinking, my God, it's been five years? Does it, you know, have I, I can't believe I've got here. Yeah, it was a it was a surprise um, because I, I never really sort of set out for for any milestones, and it it all just sort of just kept happening and, and kept snowballing and and um, one foot in front of the other and all those other cliches. Um, that that yeah, it the next thing, the next interview, the next the next topic to cover, um, and. Uh, it, it was really funny since I've moved over to the new version of the website. Um, I've actually got a yearly breakdown of the articles that I've produced for the site. Um, you know, like this year, um, we're not even finished this year. I'm at 127 articles. 2014, I had six. <laughs> so it just wow. goes to show the differences yeah. where, you know, where I've been in. And um, of those six articles in 2014, uh there were four podcasts for the whole year. Um, 
So whereas this year I've gone weekly and I've yeah. been um, doing one, one a week, roughly, almost, um, since the middle of January, I think it was. So, and as a one-man band, that's that's me researching, uh, locking in talent, doing all that sort of stuff. So, it sort of it sort of did get to a point, and there was a a, 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 um, a mid-season hiatus there when I was changing from uh, the Trek Zone Spotlight to a Trek Zone Conversation, because there was a bit of burnout there. Um, uh, you know, that, that I don't think would have been, or it certainly wouldn't have been there if I was doing four a year, but um, four a year is boring. You need to do more than that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it I think this year has been the real test as to uh, what I want to do with, with the hobby. Um, <laughs> and I think sticking it out for, for nine months or eight months um, has been uh, has been proof and, and testament to the fact that, um, yeah, it's a thing that I enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We, you know, I said we've been doing it, said almost, I say almost as long, but like, actually, you know, almost, well, I think we're, we're, we're on so what, year four it's, now, is We're it? four years, yeah, really, we hit four yeah. years beginning of the month, so we're about four years, three weeks, about yeah. that, I think. Mm. Yeah, Third so of October. Of- Mm, and we're we're kind of just so like stable because I said we do we do two episodes a month. Um, although I know we've we've we so we briefly possibly discussed that it might change maybe in the, in the far future. Um, no promises yeah, think, though. No promises. No I'm going to put that out there because otherwise no, I'm going to no say promises. that. No, no, no promises though, folks. Although to be no. fair, I do stretch it. Do stretch the definition every now and then. To be fair, so you know. Yeah. I've yeah. done that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, rules, rules. Yeah, let's just shove that there. Just yeah, that'll that'll do nicely there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you said doing doing something like that week in week out. I mean, I said that's that's that is an incredible achievement. Um, you know, I said you have to said research it yourself, put it all together, and you know, I mean, where do you, so where do you kind of see where do you kind of see Trek Zone being? Maybe I don't know, say in the next five years. I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I'm trying to do with the site now, and, and it is getting there, um, is being a being being a, a trusted resource. Uh, I think is is the is the thing, um, and and being there and being a go-to place, um, you know, where where people can go for some uh, chats <clears throat> with the Star Trek alumni, um, and that's. Sort of where, because I was trying to do so much earlier in the year, I sort of veered away from that original mission and was not that there's anything wrong with that. I enjoyed the expanded um, reach of the show, uh, you know, checking in with fan films and doing uh, real world science and, um, you know, the, the, the crew from Star Trek, not necessarily the cast, um, because it's there's sort of been a little bit of a shift here in Australia with the with the conventions. They've moved away from science fiction actors and, and they're, they're really doing the pop culture because it's a little bit more, um, uh, I, I guess, a, a little bit more attractive to the advertisers and stuff like that. Um, so so access to the cast has been a little bit limited for me this year. Um, so doing the expansion out, but really now with the Trek Zone conversation coming back into that original mission. Um, and, and yeah, so, so, so being a, a place where people can catch up on because there are there are so many chats with with um, Star Trek cast uh, online, and there's the pa- panels from conventions and stuff like that. Uh, but what I what I really want to do is um, 
just have them on record and, and sit them down and have a have a good casual conversation and and just having that um and maybe it's something that you haven't heard uh, in a panel or the audio wasn't quite great with the panel um you know we can catch those those uh, anecdotes and stuff like that and and get them on trek zone um so that's that's where i want to go with that and i certainly want to do um some of the bigger conventions overseas um next year uh you know las vegas would be one um that i have to find uh, a five-figure budget for mm-hmm. uh, that is something that i would actually budget for because uh, <laughs> i'm i'm not getting to the the border at hawaii uh and <laughs> and not having any money yeah. so las vegas, las vegas is kind of inside simon you holy grail as, that's yeah. the one you want to go to yeah i that's, think that's the best description for it uh fedcon's also up there i think yeah, yeah. I think. So go on, Fed, I was just going to say FedCon or Destination Star Trek or both. Well, we're a bit skew because I've I think I've been to about four, so I've I've done them. I've I've done them really quite well. I've done what three over in the UK, so that that's is... two in London, so that's Excel, one in an EC, and one in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, which was my absolute favourite. Which I went went to on my birthday, on my yeah. own. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, that, that, on his own as well. Yeah. That was incredible. That weekend, I managed to get I think it was about what, thirteen autographs in in like three day period. Wow! Well, which is incredible. Like, any of the conventions, yeah. That was just incredible that day, and I just I loved it. Um, and it's just yeah, but I I so I've always had a fascination with FedCon, but Las Vegas is the kind of holy grail, it's the one that everyone should go to because i think it's like las vegas is in some ways a home of star trek because you always used to be with star trek experience until that yeah, closed right. down early 2000s so I, th- I think it's like an annual kind of will remind you what it used to be kind of here's a substitute for it annually <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. know just kind of because that's one thing i've always regretted not going to the experience in las vegas so i think that would be incredible but was not to be yeah well i've been i've been meaning to go yeah i think it's a good a good alternative as in what they've got now and kind of you know as you say kind of it's been on our kind of radar you know very far away but it's you know i've always we're lacking one big one big element though (laughs) money money so you know we'll we'll get there one day it's just if it grew grew on trees if only it grew on trees uh, yeah (laughs) yeah exactly right um you know and there's only there's only so much overtime or second jobs you could work <laughs> to pay for it all so but yeah i yes. mean you know I, I said i i've said i've been to i said i've been to three yeah three destinations star trek the first the third um and, the, and fourth, the nec I think, yeah. yeah yeah so and um, a couple of minor ones as well yeah but my favorite was definitely probably the third one so <laughs> yeah, well, yeah we would say you would say that jeremy that's the one yeah. we um did a did our fan panel at which yeah. actually started us off but yeah that's a did, totally different yeah. story but yeah never mind <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um but um yeah i mean i think um i think definitely something like fed connor said in las vegas i said they're definitely kind of the one said me and some again at some point i said when we have the money so yeah mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah and isn't isn't that funny too it's sort of like ah if i had the money i'd go so do i then crowdfund for it 
do I do I become a do you know get the get the subscription model going for it just so uh, I can do it. But yeah. then, but then, am I am I defeating my own purpose with that? Because then I really am going to have to do a lot and overpromise, you know. So it's it's a tricky one. Um, I mean, I, I've come up with um, I, I think I came out with about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars as a budget for for the two weeks to go from here to there. Um, so, which is a, it's a fair bit of coin. It's, it's nothing to sneeze at, but, um, but then again, how much, how much does a cruise around the Caribbean or, uh, or, or a holiday to Europe cost, you know? So you weigh those things up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It does put things into perspective. Doesn't it's it? yeah. It's once in a lifetime. It's, I love the irony of it. It's kind of coming over to Europe and it's for us, it's going over to Australia. And I've always loved that kind of, <laughs> of kind of hearing it from the other point of view and kind of. I say the Australian and American um, interest in coming home, coming back to the UK and visiting Europe. But I always find that fascinating kind of reef homing thing of I must go home. I must go and see House of Parliament. I must see Big Bill. I must see all that sort of I have done my trip to Europe. Uh, I was in uh, Frankfurt for two weeks, uh, oh, a decade ago now. Um, but that was that's the most I've done on on the European continent. Uh, I haven't I've done too much else. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, no, I, I do intend to. I think it's I think it's funny. I, I've always I've always um, enjoyed traveling around Australia. There's there's so much you know to see. Um, but then there's a whole other world out there. There is, you know, and I've, I said. Need to see more of it. So. Mm, yes, yeah. so I've been saying for years, Jamie. Yes, Simon. That's another story. It's <laughs> all right, but that's another, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's I say Australia's a wonderful country, so I'm glad that I've been I've been able to go over and see it and meet you and catch up with my family, which is which was mm. wonderful and things. And I think I've said this like earlier in the year, but incredible country. Go and see it if you haven't. Yeah. But again, save up. But yeah, um, <laughs> should we move on? Because otherwise, if we keep on this tangent, we'll be on it forever. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> when you talk about conventions, and we've got to go there, got to go there. Um, what about more than just a feeling? Well, should we talk about that for a bit? Because I think that would be an interesting thing to discuss and where how that came about and inspiration and yeah. things. Sure. Well, it's uh, once more with feeling, it, you know, that, like like I said, it, it fan film, uh, a fan film was was the impetus to to start Trek Zone again back in 2012, um, and to to understand that, I'll take you back a little bit, and it was called Eternal Night, um, and it was going to be um, set just after the Dominion War. Um, the you know the Alpha Quadrants are covering, uh, and there's a cadet um, that, or there's an event that happens, um, and then there's a cadet from 20 years in the future that comes back and wants to uh, meet her parents uh, who were key figures, key officers in that in that event, um, and it all sort of stems from there. It's a time travel story. It's it's um, riding in. Uh, you know, some family unit uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. And it, it was a little bit, um, 
again, being unable to create sets and not having money for sets and costumes and actors and all that sort of stuff. So the the first season, as it were, um, was a series of log entries um, from the commandant of um, Starfleet Academy um, so that we could introduce the character because I, I couldn't actually find an actress to play the character yet. So how do I how do I develop the backstory of the character of, of this character without having the actress? Uh, and the idea there was to create some log entries. So we'd sort of get to know in some personal logs um, that this, that this cadet is struggling, really struggling. She's, she's taken up history, uh, you know, recent Starfleet history and, and she wants to learn more and it's all classified and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and that's the way that it was all coming about. And Eternal Night was very much a hodgepodge of ideas that were released at the time. They were a good idea. Um, and, and by that, I mean the, the season one finale of Eternal Night was a 44-minute news bulletin um, because I work in a TV newsroom, so why not create a news bulletin for free? <laughs> uh, makes sense. Um, yeah. But it was it, the, the idea there was that we were going to spend season two uh, in the 24th century uh, and there was going to be a further time tra- travel element for season three uh, where uh, it was actually going to be... they somehow along the way that that plot never got developed but somewhere along the way um they were going to end up back in 21st century earth um and all those um items in the news bulletin that you saw at the end of season one were all going to be b plots uh in uh, throughout season three so we had um coronal mass ejections from the sun so it was a period of high solar activity which leads to damaging effects on our magnetosphere here on earth you know there was going to be something like that it wasn't going to slap you in the face with it it was sort of just (laughs) going to be um the the intention was going to be that we were going to film live action in season three um, because that's that's what I could do. We didn't need sets. I could just be in the real world. Um, and you might walk past a TV in the lounge room and the TV in the lounge room's on and it's an expert talking about the increased solar activity. So it was that sort of plot layering that, that I was doing and, and thread layering. Um, and the big one there from season one finale was uh, Captain Green, as, of course, many... Diehard Treks should know Colonel Green. Uh, he had those big ideas through the uh, Third World War um, and the Eugenics Wars, um, and he was actually uh, the inspiration uh, for the uh, the uh, group in the Enterprise two-parter at the end of Season 4, um, Terror Prime. Uh, so they really looked up to Colonel Green, uh, and so I had Captain Green. This was the beginning of this character. Um, so there were all those sort of things happening throughout Eternal Night, um, but it just didn't really pay off. It, it didn't quite work. Um, we got I'd written ten uh, episodes for season two, um, and and we had them uh, twenty minutes each. So there was two hundred minutes of, of fan film sitting there waiting to be produced. Um, but things that I didn't quite learn uh, or that I was learning at that point was how to actually do audio. Uh, I was still very much set on doing visual, um, working in TV. I have a need to make or I had a need to make a, a visual medium. Um, and that 
involves a lot of money, um, not just for the equipment, but for the crew, <laughs> for the set, for the costumes, for the props, on and on it goes. Um, and and that's really where it struggled. So four episodes came out of Eternal Night, um, and but there were some plots that were shelved, weren't used, and all that sort of stuff. And then... We fast forward a few years to the end of last year and I don't know, I just woke up one day and said, no, you know what, I am going to do a fan film. There, there are people out there that are complaining that fan films can't be done um, and, you know, it requires too much thinking and, it, and it's too hard and it's too restrictive with the guidelines. Um, so I just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I can make a fan film. Um, and I wrote it over the course of three months and, um, and again, learning a lot of things there with Once More With Feeling because because it was going to be um, it. I actually can't remember what it was originally going to be, whether it was going to be audio or <laughs> green screen. Um, but um, yeah, so so developed that, picked up a couple of the plots from Eternal Night that were shelved, went into Once More With Feeling. So okay, I didn't necessarily write you know the entire script from scratch in three months but it was there it was fleshing out the characters and working out how we get from a to b to c um and then i watched i signed up for something called masterclass um which is a online website of course it's online it's a website um, <laughs> it's a website it's and it, it um it brings in all these professionals and creates like a university course so they've got gordon ramsay teaching you how to cook they've got robert de niro teaching you how to act but the one that i really loved was ron howard teaching you how to direct and that really spoke with me and and what uh, what they did in that was that they actually had three actors backstage with a script from frost nixon which ron howard directed um and he had he had the but you know he had the um the online course cameras there a couple of cameras there but he also had the film cameras and he was teaching us how to block a scene and act, uh, direct the actors um and get coverage and all those things that you got to do in a film <clears throat> and what i excuse me what i took away from that was um not necessarily, funnily enough, the blocking and the directing of the actors. It was the style that he'd gone for. Um, this behind the scenes, back of the back of the sound stage, no uh, half a set sort of constructed, um, and and they were just blocking the lines, um, and they were reading off the scripts, and it worked. It 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 really worked with that. Obviously, there in Hollywood, it worked a lot better than my execution, but it worked and it was a great idea because you got the point across. Um, and then I went and watched Frost Nixon and compared that scene with what I'd just seen and went, you know what? I got the same emotion um, from both from both viewings of that scene. So why don't we go behind the scenes? And that's how the visual style of once more with feeling came about and having those actors lined up with scripts in their hands um look at the end of the day the scripts could have gone um but there they were and they were on the virtual set that is trek zone that 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 virtual studio wasn't just something i pulled out of thin air it, it was the the trek zone studio that you simon uh, were <laughs> in 
Um, <laughs> so doing different angles and, and teaching myself After Effects and the 3D creation tool and all that sort of stuff and, and doing that, uh, and that was all cool. And then and then I met or I actually looked at, at the space battles and I went, um, because I had a storyboard artist. There's a lovely lady named Maria that um, that did the storyboard panels for me. Um, and she was originally going to do all of the storyboards. Um, for, for anything that said visual effect, she was going to do a storyboard. Um, and this is another criticism of, of the film. Maybe I should have stuck with one or two visual styles instead of the three. But uh, I, I looked at those storyboards. I looked at those rough sketches that she'd done and, and I looked at it and I went, I still am a visual medium guy. I, I have to see these. Um, and so I, I got to know Sam Cockings uh, from the UK who's uh, who does a lot of work and has picked up, you know, he ha- he does amazing work um, and got to know him, got to talking with him. And over the course of about three or four weeks, he put together all the visual effects. Uh, for the film so instead of having your visual effects artist at the start when you're scripting it and going hey can we can we have an excelsior class <laughs> ship with quantum torpedoes firing on a Kelden class ship at this close range and by the way this is the historical reference that that i want to use and blah blah so he sam was on the back foot uh from the beginning but to his credit uh he did all of that um and and he got it done and he was right in the middle of doing all the graphics intensive work for the romulan war uh, which is coming out out later this year um so his his help was amazingly appreciate, uh, appreciated um but it wasn't just the visual effects that he was doing he was actually looking at the edit of the film he's done a fan film so he was looking at the way that i'd structured it um you know and tweaked it along and changed it up <clears throat> and we came out with the final product that we came out with um that that I'm very happy with. Um, certainly there are changes. If, if you can't see things that you would do differently, uh, then you should just give up now because there's always something that you can learn from. Um, the biggest thing that I learned was I'd never, um, as you know, Simon, you've, you've seen the studio that I was filming in yeah. um, with a small green screen. <laughs> I went to the studio in Perth and it was a full cyclorama. So you had three walls were painted green. Um, and I never appreciated what that actually does. When you turn those studio lights on, what all of that green does, um, it just floods every shot that you make. Um, and you can see it in Once More with Feeling, all the close-ups of the actors, there's a lot of green spill on their, spa- on their face. Um, and, you know, look, I, I was terribly disappointed with that when uh, I put it into the edit suite for the first time and, and did the key and tried to fix it and couldn't um, without a lot of post-processing. Um, so that was a disappointing moment, but it, it also went, true to the fact that it's an amateur production um and and what people what i what i'm not screaming from the hilltop about is that yes i understand that it doesn't look the greatest but the next time is going to be better um you know that that's just the way that it is as as we develop um and that was all part of the realization of going audio that um you know this kit that i've bought for a tenth of the cost of new production gear um i can actually do fan films and i don't need to hire any gear i don't or or studio i I don't need to hire anything (laughs) i don't need costumes or props or um 
really great 4K cameras and all that sort of stuff and a beautiful soundstage. None of that. I'm not doing visuals. So so that was the big lesson that came out of Once More with Feeling. Um, and, of course, the biggest connection uh, through that. So I had that, the starting of the film um, was, just let me know if I'm waffling on here too much, guys. <laughs> no, it's just um, go for it. <laughs> so so we had that we had that scene we had that that future scene uh there 12 months in the future where um young alicia um meets the captain um that was pulled from eternal night um which was paying homage to that deep space nine episode um and then we had well where, where are we going with this um and i've always been fascinated by um australian world war ii stories um because i think that a lot of those stories aren't they're not in the world consciousness as much as, say, the American battles or the British battles or the German battles. Um, you know, they, they were the superpowers. We, we know that the, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. We know that um, the German U-boats were sinking uh, Allied shipping um, throughout the Second World War. But what we don't necessarily know is the struggles. Uh, and, it, I mean, we do here in Australia a little bit. It's it's not uh, overly taught in, in school, um, but we are aware of of our place in in all these major conflicts um and that we australians actually do a lot we play a pivotal role in quite a lot of things in the second world war we we were actually part of the um we, we were part of the allied force that liberated malta um and my parents went to malta um, a few years ago and it's 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 aussie you, you can't go anywhere without people going, you're an Aussie, you know, we love you. Um, the same as, as the French countryside. Um, we were there on the Western Front through the Second World I'm not saying we were the only ones by, by no means, <laughs> but we were, we were the, the, the main garrison were Australians as we were liberating all of these uh, occupied territories. Villas Bretonneur is a um, is a French village that um, plays a very special part um, in Australia's uh, wartime commemorations for us. It's called Anzac Day. Um, you know we have dawn services over there, so th- we have all these connections with with all these world conflicts, and it's not as well known. And the biggest one that came about um, for me with this film um was the hmas sydney um and the hks cormoran uh and the cormoran was a german auxiliary raider that um and the germans did this in and i think everyone did this you know we look at it now and we go wow that's barbaric a little bit to to fly a false flag and go shoot down warships uh in surprise attacks but it's what happened uh, you know, back then in the First World War, the Germans were very successful uh, in those raiding campaigns. So they tried it again in the Second World War, but of course the technology changed and we had aeroplanes now and, and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't as effective, but they were still sinking a lot of uh, a lot of tonnage of cargo. Um, and uh, this uh, ship, the Cormoran, uh, was operating in the Indian Ocean off the West Australian coast. Um, and the HMAS Sydney was on her way from Fremantle to uh, Indonesia, escorting a troop convoy um, into into battle. And she was on her way back uh, when, when she encountered the Cormoran, who was flying a Dutch merchant flag. 
Uh, and exactly as it goes in my film, um, replacing cut uh, replacing Germans with Cardassians and and Australians with with uh, Starfleet. Um, but that's exactly how it happened. They they attempted communication. They closed to within a distance. Um, the Dutch flag was dropped. The German battle ensign was raised, uh, and the battle began. And there was a lot of um, con- uh, conversation afterwards um, about the actions of the Sydney getting so close to the to uh, the Cormoran and losing her advantage in firepower because she got so close and she didn't have the element of surprise. Um, you know, the, the saddest thing of all was the fact that both ships were mutually destroyed um, and there were no survivors on the HMAS Sydney, uh, including my great uncle who was on the ship. And that was that was sort of the personal connection for me to, to tell this story as the first one. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was the thing. And, and there was only, I think it was one or two lifeboats recovered from the German ship um, that washed up on the West Australian coast. Uh, and so that led to decades of speculation about what actually happened. And the Germans must have done something, you know, because that's the way we were conditioned. Uh, the Germans must have done something uh, absolutely heinous and, and uh, against war convention and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but in the end, it was just a battle between two ships and they both lost. Um, and that's the, yeah. So that, so I Star Trekified the story and, and came up with, um, the end of the Dominion war, um, with a Cardassian ship running as a Federation merchant ship. Um, would the, and Sam and I talked about that, um, you know, would it be the Cardassians to, to do those sort of sneak runs? Um, originally an idea was that the Romulans might do it. Um, so, you know, the Cardassians had that technology and, um, and they, and they did that and, and we lost our ship and that was, you know, there, there was a bit of feedback there as well about how can, how can a little, uh, Keldon class ship, uh, obliterate, um, an Excelsior class ship. And again, it comes to that distance that's closed and, you know, our Federation ships are mighty and they're big and they've got big phaser arcs and all this sort of stuff. Um, they're not really designed for that close quarters combat. Um, and that's that's sort of where it all sort of uh, was a synergy and, and married together and and just came out uh, really well, um, I, I think. And, and it, it told a story and um, and I acknowledged, you know, the, the real world events at the end of the film. And I think that's what I want to do with Star Trek fan films. I want to instead of trying to come up with unique and interesting locations for everything because uh I, i'm not a paid script writer uh, i'm not a screenwriter or, or by any stretch um but if you can draw on those real world elements suddenly you've got your entire um storyline you've got your, your um your beginning your middle and your end in that story um that you star trekify and that's what i can do i can star trekify it because because i know the universe um but all those battle techniques and, and all that sort of stuff i i hyper researched uh, that battle um, and was speaking to quite a lot of people, um, historians and, and uh, academics about what actually happened uh, in that battle. Um, and they, um, yeah, I, I certainly learned quite a few more things about, about the Sydney and the Cormoran um, through, through all of that. I should open it back up to you guys and make sure that you're still there. No <laughs> <laughs> so we're still here. <laughs> No, it's, it's really quite interesting what you were saying, kind of, 
you know, in particular, one of the things I really liked when I was watching it was the fact that I think as she says to the captains, like, you know, you've got all these well-known captains, you've got Kirk, you've got Picard, but there are other captains out there who who have who have achieved things and who have done things and and they don't get heard about. So kind of as you were speaking, as you said about Australia's role in the Second World War, it's kind of a nice little mirroring, as you say, in that moment, you know, telling it through, as you say, through the Star Trek universe. And, you know, because, I mean, the Second World War is one of my favourite, you know, um, moments of history in terms of just how interesting it is and you know you've got it you've got a, a period of time which seems so which seems like you know i said only six years but so much happened you mm. know and you, know, you hear about as you say you hear about america you hear about britain or japan or you know the main superpowers but you know there were other countries that were involved and who did contribute and mm. you know their story you know i think kind of gets it kind of gets lost a bit and, you know, kind of bringing that to the line, I think is a really, really important and um, really important thing to do. And I think, you know, mm. and, you know, doing doing stuff through, said, through fan fiction, like Star Trek, I think it's, I think it's a great thing because Star Trek, that that's what I think, you know, for me, it's what's really important. I said, it's not, you know, you know, that big sets and big special effects. It's about the story and the characters, mm. you know, and, you know, that, you know, that's what, it's important, and I think that does shine through really well in your fan fiction, uh, fan film. Sorry, fan fiction, fan film. Um, you know, not to say that the visual effects weren't impressive because they really were very impressive. Um, but um, you know, you know, you want to tell a story, and you want to, you know, there's, you want to, you know, I'm, I'm rambling now, so someone <laughs> else say something. <laughs> but that, I mean, you're right, and that's, and that yeah. sort of, see, that that was the visual medium. Uh, side in me really coming out but then if you really look at it and and you you analyze uh once more with feeling and some of the feedback that, that's uh, feedback still is trickling in which is amazing um but a lot of that um a lot of that that i've seen it has been um you know what I, I closed my eyes and i listened to this for the first time and then i watched it um and and i still understood what was going on while i was listening to it and looking at it now with this fundamental change in me going to audio, I looked at that and I went, so I don't need the visual. <laughs> um, you know, my, my ratings have actually improved since I've, I've dropped the vision, which is an odd coincidence. Um, so so maybe maybe I can become a an audio storyteller and and audio dramas save it save a hell of a save a hell of a lot of money um audio but, drama but how, series maybe how how good are audio dramas you know you, you um i think it opens up too um fan films uh sort of don't sit at the place of primetime television viewing um they're sort of off on the side when you've got a spare moment um you can sit down and watch the latest episode uh of, of a fan film um you know if you've got 50 minutes you could have sat down and watched the star trek continues or something like that um but if you go to an audio drama and you keep it nice and tight so you stick to those guidelines even though you don't have to because it's not a fan film <laughs> but if you stuck to those guidelines and you had a 20 minute um a 20 minute film uh, or, or a 10, 20 minute audio drama that suddenly is someone commuting to work with headphones on on the bus or plugged into the Bluetooth on their car 
Um, you know, so it, it really does open up your audience a little bit more and, and gives you new marketing opportunities, I think, that if you could work out the average commute of your listeners and go, There's okay, something well, original. yeah, you know, rather, and, and than, some, rather than being it, another fan film. Yeah. And that's what, that's, see, that's what a lot of people, a lot of the, the negative comments about the fan film guidelines are focusing on, that it, it can't be done. We, we can't do this our way anymore. Um, and they're right. We, we can't do it our way anymore. But do we really need uh, feature-length productions in fan films or 50-minute episodes or big-budget things, uh, you know, Surely there is a way of telling a story in 20 minutes that gives you a beginning, a middle, and an end, and some characters that you care about. Um, and it comes down to writing. It, it really does force. They, CBS and Paramount really have forced us to be a lot more creative in our writing. Um, and uh, I think that that you know you you supplement that, so you you lead up to the film with with some marketing material or whatever it might be. Maybe, you know, it's a little micro website or a couple of pages where you've got the biographies of, of the characters, you know, I mean, that's, that's quite a, quite a blunt uh, example, but, but that's a way of not needing to shoehorn in all this dialogue to say, Oh yes. Hello, Kate Smith, commander of the ship. Nice to meet you. Like you don't need that. If you can be creative in the way that you, go about telling the story and i don't think uh thinking about that i don't even think that um alicia's name was mentioned in once more with feeling the young girl at the start and the end um so yeah i mean it's it's doable and it can be very good and i think that having a shortened uh time frame that we have to sit in to to play happy um forces all of the fluff out of the film and we just keep to the meat of the story and and discover who are the 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 great writers um and that's not to say that only great writers can make fan films what i'm saying is that it forces you to be a great writer and i've only got this time how can i crunch all that i want to tell into that time i think we it can be done i think we've um we've uh, both of us spoken to um Gary O'Brien, who I think who would who I think demonstrated it, who can I think can show that you can do it. And I think though the guidelines kind of work into what people's attention spans these days because they're an awful lot shorter than they used to be. So in some ways it's better. Um, And I think you know I think you've got to do what you're happy with. So if it's doing fan films or if it's doing an audio drama. So be it. You've got to do what you, you know, we say. We'd, we'd never go near it. We'd never organise a convention. It'd be an absolute nightmare. But so we're always impressed whenever we, if someone comes on and says, "I've done A, B, and C," and we sit there go, "We can do that. Good on you." <laughs> we're not going to sit there and tell you how to do what what you've done, what you're doing, because we wouldn't even attempt it. We wouldn't know how to do it. So you know, we're we you know we're you. not worthy. You know, kind of doing. <laughs> your fan film and whatever else we, we can't comment we can't sit there going well hmm have you thought about doing this <laughs> we don't know we just do a poxy little podcast on the internet so so you know I, I don't know but i think it's 
it's got to be what you're happy with at the end of the day. And in some ways, you always find that restrictions in some ways actually do help yeah, it's kind of focus a minds sword. in some ways. So it's in, in yeah. some ways, it's not a bad problem, but it's a good problem to have because mm. then, you, like mm-hmm. you say, you have to be more crazy. If you've got something that lasts 90 minutes, you sit there going, hmm, how do I fill this with junk that, you know, yeah. like scenes where you sit there going, what? why is that in there? Why is it, well, yeah. Really, why is that in there? Whereas it's kind of, here's a quick two-second sabbing shot straight into this scene that takes you straight into this scene, and before you know it, you've got a 20-minute film that feels as though it's a 45-minute episode that it really didn't need to be. It, it can be done. It just depends on um, the creativity of the person who's leading it. And I think the open-mindedness of the listener or viewer of that media and i think that because jamie you'll back me up on this i've said it before a fan fiction fan films are a bit marmite or a bit kind of you'd love yeah. them or hate them Definitely, and i think yeah. we're both on the opposite side of the spectrum so i think to please everyone it's a very difficult thing to try and do but it, you know if you can do it i think it, you know you do you do incredibly well and i say from someone that doesn't produce fan films i think you know I think it's incredible that people do. So, I, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and I think it comes back to it comes back to that hobby that um, you do it because you want to do it, um, and you're not out there. And and I think that's that's the way that it was heading. I, I think, and, and I call it the golden age of of the the Star Trek fan films, um, where you had James Corley and Vic Mignogna. Uh, making uh, new voyages and continues, and they were getting better and better. And uh, you know, you were getting to a point where it was what NBC were producing in the 60s. And then you were getting um, Tommy Craft with a 90-minute feature film, and you had Tim Russ uh, and Manu um, Interame um, doing Star Trek Renegades. Um, they were doing a feature length. You know, you had all these things, and suddenly it was becoming. Um, and, and I really don't think it was Alec Peters, I think, was the straw that broke the camel's back, but I don't think he was necessarily the one. I think there could have been someone else at that point that just came along and went, you know what, um, because it's the way that I was feeling as Continues and New Voyages and Renegades and all these other productions were coming along from the US with so much more uh, ability behind them and stages and, and sound stages and uh, sets and all this sort of stuff that they were bringing along. And kudos to them. They, they were doing a fantastic job. But unfortunately, they were getting to the point of being – independent productions beyond fans making a bit of fun they were always fans making a bit of fun um but they were moving ever so slightly into the independent film space which was never going to be uh a a place that cbs was going to be happy um i think that it so i guess what i'm trying to say is um while while remembering that i do have most of these people as friends of mine I, i i think that that where we were heading was to a point of um, it was an arms race. It was a fan film arms race <laughs> where you to to uh, jump above the pack, you had to be bigger and better. Um, and the only way to be bigger and better was to raise more money. But then to raise more money, you needed to be bigger and better. And it just kept growing from there. Um, and then unfortunately, that that one individual um, decided that 
to, to do what he needed to um, fund his own business, uh, you know. So so we, 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 we look at that and go, that's the reason why um, CBS and Paramount acted when they did. But I, I really think that if it wasn't then, it would have been later and it would have been something else. It could have even been Star Trek Renegades um, with Tim Russ, Manowid Tarome, Ethan Phillips, uh, Chase Masterson. The list goes on with the amount of um, Star Trek alumni that were in there. Um, so it's it's things like that where they now say that no one from Star Trek can work on the shows. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, as you say, double-edged sword, um, but it's it's great that they are there because now people like me in Little Old Australia and Aaron Van Der Klee <laughs> over in Perth, um, he can actually get heard now. Um, Aaron's not interested in crowdfunding. He's not interested in big budget. He's happy to fund it all himself as a hobby. Um, but now that everyone's had to come back down almost to his level um, in terms of, you know, money and, and, uh, and all that sort of stuff um, that, that those smaller ones can be heard a little bit more. And, and I do think that that's maybe part of the reason why um, once more with feelings sitting at about um, 7,000 views, which is really, really impressive, really impressive indeed. I, I was a little shocked, and I'll just correct myself and say it's eight point nine, uh, eight thousand nine hundred odd. God, it's almost <laughs> nine thousand. Christ, oh, that's that's a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll see, you know, it's having a big impact, which is a good thing. And it's, I think, I think because it is, because it is so unique, I, I think that that's part of the reason that it's getting a lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you know. At the end of the day, as you say, you know, as you say about the whole bigger, better, more money thing, it's just about quality, not quantity. You know, I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather at the end of the day, I mean, I, don't, I can't speak for everyone, but I'd rather say watch 20 minutes or something that's really amazing than watch 45 minutes of garbage. I really mm. would. And I'll go, well, actually, that 20 minutes was better than this whole 45 minutes, you know, because and that's one of, the, one of the advantages of fan films. As you say, if you've got a limited amount of time but you know you can get to the meat of the story you don't have to think oh i've got i've got all oh, half an hour left of this hour and a half feature oh i need to fill it with with some random scenes that don't make that don't add, add anything to the characters or the story Whereas mm. if you've got as you say a set amount of time you can really get to the heart of what you want to talk about um you know so yeah in, in some ways it's kind of there's kind of a huge advantage that kind of thing i suppose and as you say the restrictions that uh, whilst frustrating and you know, very restrictive, as I said there is a certain interesting challenge, there, as you say, to trying to get creative and see, oh, what can I come up with with what 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 I can with what I can do, you know, mm. with what I've been given, kind of. So yeah, it's it's just really hugely impressive. And I I've always said quite enjoyed fan films. I said I I quite like Star Trek. I've, I've watched Star Trek Continues myself, and I I think it's said I think it's just amazing work that uh, people have done on these fan films, whether it's whether it's once more with feeling or or Gary O'Brien with the Holy Core, or just, yeah, oh, it's just amazing. It really is. Mm. Yeah, so watch this space for Trexone fan films. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, I mean, that's the thing, you know, I think fan films, I think there's definitely been a, because I think we, we talked about this before, didn't we, so I think we said there's been kind of a, but, you know, I think the expectations, I think actually from fans with fans, I think it's it's changed, it's risen now. Now that fans are kind of gone, oh, actually, you know what? You know, fan films are not just, oh, they're not just this, this, this. I think there's been kind of, 
you know, because they've said that in their minds they've seen some really good ones it's kind of the expectations have risen a bit it's like oh actually you know what you know this is great you know it's not it's not you know a big budget star trek episode but it doesn't have to be because that's not what star trek is about as you say um so yeah it's just it's just amazing it really is i'm not gonna keep saying mm. that i'm gonna stop now <laughs> i realize i'm repeating i realize i'm repeating myself so yeah um uh, so, um, are there any other any uh, up and coming projects that you have that coming up that you can that you can maybe hint at or maybe talk about a bit or anything? Well, it's funny you ask that because um, I was chatting to Sam for for my show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he did remind me that uh, back in June we at when once more this feeling was locked um, that we were discussing the next chapter um so and then he reminded me a couple of weeks ago that uh oh whatever happened with that um <laughs> so yes there are things to come um and and there there is going to be I, I i can't say too much because i don't i don't actually know at this point but uh but there definitely will be another fan film in uh in 2019 um my hope would be that we will uh do one a quarter so four quarters in the year, four fan films, maybe, um, you know, uh, learnt lessons as I've harped on about. Uh, I, I won't be heading back to Perth um, to film the next one because it's quite expensive. Um, keeping all those costs down, but by saying keeping all the costs down, um, the, the, the quality is going to be there because it's all audio now um, and you can do so much more with audio, which is fantastic. <laughs> So yes, that is to come. There will, uh, I will definitely say there will be at least one fan film um, in in the next year, uh, and we're going back. We're we're actually just going to leave once more with feeling just there. It's going to be its standalone little thing um, for for now. Uh, we're going to head off to probably the Enterprise era uh, for the next Trek Zone fan film because you can. You can do a lot more uh, World War Two analogous things when you don't have subspace sensors that completely destroy the fog of war. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> and then, of course, there is uh, a Trek Zone Conversation, which is my podcast, if I may be so bold as to promote. Oh, absolutely, uh, that, yeah. Where can people that, find you? Absolutely. We always do that if guests are goat plug away. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so jump over to trekzone.org. That's might the not place be Thursday. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, so trekzone.org is where everything's collated um, and we're actually working on, I'm actually working with a web design company at the moment to sort a few things out on the website. Um, that's all going to be there. But of course, um, youtube.com slash trekzoneorgau, all one word, trekzoneorgau. Uh, I don't know why, that's what they told me to create. Um, <laughs> so, so. Still there, and, and it's funny because, um, like, I looked at all sorts of different release platforms, uh, Libsyn, uh, all that sort of stuff to, to do the podcast, um, but I still maintained the YouTube channel because I fought so hard throughout 2018 to build that up uh, and get back into the partner program and do all that sort of stuff. So um, the podcast, I only produce them in audio, but um, I chuck them in the edit suite, put a nice little background on them, put a waveform on them so you get a bit of a picture. Um, but you can uh, you can uh, also check us out on Apple iTunes uh, because it is there, and I'm I'm manually curating 
the iTunes list um, and hopefully uh, hope to be extending out into Spotify and, and those other uh, podcasting resources as, as well. Um, but yeah, so the, the main one is youtube.com slash Um And again, with ratings, ratings have absolutely skyrocketed coincidentally since I've, since people have stopped seeing my face every week. So, um, <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that, but, uh, but they are still listening to my voice. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> I'll add it to the list. That's one I have forgotten, but it will be up there. I'll add that on later. I'm sure. Awesome. Maybe you'll know when this goes out. Sorry, the yeah. in here it's like yeah, we, we always that's one thing I've forgotten, but it won't be for long. No, we all always good. include the links. So we always include the links when we release that episode, so we'll make sure to include all that. So <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Did a yeah. bit earlier, so I've done most of mine. and he's put YouTube up, and then it's good to go. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so um, is, I, I don't know. I think I've got any more questions to ask. Do you have anything else you want to ask, Sai? Not really. I think Matthew wants to go to bed, I think, because it's... Like... Yeah. <laughs> i got the housework today. I, actually, I've got, I got coffee and toast to have. I need <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> but there yeah, it, so... how, there's an incentive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think that's a good place to kind of said. Yeah, that, I think that ends another episode. So Yeah, thank you for thank... taking your yeah, time out so your very early morning. Yeah. No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, and we'll definitely have thanks you on. Thanks for hosting me last time, for hosting me back in May. No worries. Thank, thanks yeah. for coming on. We can keep <laughs> yeah. going around in circles. Thank yeah. you, everybody. <laughs> well, I definitely said have you on again again soon. So, yeah, it's fantastic having a, having a new guest on. So we'll Maybe not with British Summertime. Yeah. Because <laughs> that makes things worse for both ends, I think. Just Yeah. Yeah. Another hour, it would have been a little bit nicer for, I think, both of us, I think, a bit, bit better for Matthew, but lessons learned and later mo- later morning slightly and all that, but lessons, lessons for the future and yeah. future topics and whatnot. I, I don't know what I'm <laughs> on about. <laughs> no change there. No change <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank You're you very welcome. much. Yeah, so uh, that ends, as I said, another episode of the Ghost Podcast. Um, we hope you enjoyed listening, guys. And, yeah, we'll be back um, We'll be back soon. Yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> we, will, we will be, don't worry. <laughs> we will be back soon. There we go. That sounded a bit more better, I'm sure. So uh, until next time, guys, take care. Until next time, guys, take care. Oh, God. Bye. Bye. Bye.